So we ought not to avoid the idea of what will take place at the end. We're not going to get, we're not going to get overwhelmed and infatuated that this is all we ever talk about, but, it, but we ought to have a framework in our minds to be able to live life in light of the end times. Because it actually affects the way that we would live our lives now. We need to have an understanding of what will happen when Jesus comes back. Now I'll admit there is a lot of confusion. And there's a lot of misunderstanding. And this subject that we sometimes use a big fancy word of eschatology, the study of the last things, has all kinds of theories. And I don't want to get caught up too much in the details and be too dogmatic because there were many that uh, before Jesus' coming that said the Messiah will look exactly like this and he will come in this way. And they did not get it right. And I am sure that there will be much that we recognize only in hindsight. But the Bible does give us some teaching. And so this morning I want us to look at one of these passages together so that we might have a framework for understanding what will happen at the end so that we might begin to have a framework for understanding the last days. One of the passages that we have along these lines that is pretty straightforward in its teaching is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. We've been going through 1 Thessalonians together. As we've noted, Paul had only been with those believers in Thessalonica for three weeks. In fact, he was the one that presented the gospel to them, and there was enough that came to faith that they formed a church. But then a riot broke out, and he was driven from town. And so he uh, he writes 1 Thessalonians only a couple months later to give them some basic instructions. And is it not interesting that part of what he considers to be crucial and basic to the faith is what will happen in the end. And so we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And in these verses, we will find a framework for understanding the last days. Let's read this together. God, help us as we read this. May this truth sink deep into our hearts. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who, have, who fall asleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So a few application points and some, and some teaching along these lines about what will happen in the end times. 
The first thing I might point out from the passage here is that it, sa is it says that we need education for grieving. Education for the grieving. He says he does not want us to be, this is verse 13, be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death. In other words, we need to have some education. We need to have some instruction along these lines. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, we need to have education. We need to have an understanding of what will uh, take place in the end because it gives us hope. It helps us to look forward towards something. What we are going to be talking about this morning, as I said, is the climax of world history. It is the climax of salvation, and it, and it ought to revive our spirit and give us hope for what comes next. It is hope for the grieving. Now, Paul doesn't say here that we should not grieve. It says, he says that we should grieve differently from the rest of mankind. You see, many people, uh, when they lose a loved one, they grieve because there is no hope. They don't know what comes next. They don't have any confidence that they will see that individual again. And yet for us that know what is coming down the road, it gives us the opportunity to grieve differently. This past year I had to attend the most difficult memorial service for me personally that I've ever uh, attended. My grandmother died, and it wasn't like she went unexpectedly. If anyone lived a long, full life, it was my grandma Kraft. She lived to 102 years old. And uh, I, every time I saw her, I thought, that might be the last time I see my grandma. But she just kept plugging away year after year. And she was sharp as a tack, almost all the way up to the end. I'd call her up on the phone, and she'd ask questions. She'd always tell me that she was praying for me. And so at the memorial service, I suppose because I'm a pastor, I was chosen to give the memories on behalf of the family. And all of the cousins wrote out things that they remembered about, their gran about our grandmother, and uh, I got up and re read those. And I'll admit, there were about three times I had to pause for several seconds, maybe like quite a, a long time, a couple times, just to gather myself. There was definite grieving that was going on. There was a lot of sadness, a lot of weeping. But it was not, uh, but, but we grieved differently than if, if we would have if we did not know where she was at at the time. You see, my, and I know I'm biased in saying this, but my grandma was, was one of the most godly women I have ever met, maybe the most. Just this air of godliness about her, and I loved her so much. And yet I know where she is at today. And so I was able to grieve with hope. You see, Paul uses here in this passage, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. I have oftentimes wondered, why does the Bible speak of death as a sleep? No, death is not a sleep. You're dead. You wake up from a sleep. But maybe that's actually the point. That when we uh, close our eyes to this earth we wake up uh, to another life, to eternal life. That sleep is not final. That death uh, actually leads to something that is coming next. And so Paul talks about how, uh, how our lives, when they end on this earth, will continue on. 
Jesus himself, when his good friend Lazarus died, talked in this way. Jesus wept, and then he stood at the edge of the tomb, and he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And Lazarus rose from the dead. You see, what we see in Lazarus rising from the dead, and ultimately what we see in Jesus rising from the dead, is a foreshadowing of what will come next for us. This is not the end. Our lives continue on. And so, and so Paul talks about how God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So let's talk about the uh, events here. Let me start at this end. And if we were to give ourselves a timeline, we start here. Let me think here. Yeah, we move from left to right. I always have to think backwards when I'm up here. We start here at the beginning, and this is the Garden of Eden. This is Adam and Eve. And just one step here, we have where Adam and Eve uh, sinned, and they fell away. You see, here we have a perfect environment. The Garden of Eden is exactly how God created us to live. It would have been lived in fellowship with Him. It would have been lived in love with one another. It would have been lived with a lot of meaning and purpose, working the land and taking care of God's creation. Uh, and it would have been, that would have been done with no pain or sorrow or backaches or anything like that. But then we step here, and we are still called to, uh, to live in fellowship with God and to take care of the earth. But at this step, it comes with pain, and it comes with separation from God because of our sin. And then we keep moving along, and there's the covenants, and there's the law. And then at one point in history, and this is an important point, Jesus comes and, in, and uh, comes into the world, and he dies and he rises again. This is the coming of the Messiah to set what went wrong here right. And it comes here. And this is an important point in history. But then we continue to move this way. And we recognize that salvation was, the work of salvation was one, but sin continues on in the world, right? And this is where we're living right now. But one day, Jesus will come back again. And this is the moment in time that I want us to think about here. We've talked about education for the grieving. Now I want to talk about events for the last days. The events of the last days. And I'm going to focus on, in on just two verses, verses 16 and 17. And I realize that uh, there are a lot of things that can be said along these lines. And in fact, a lot of people have various views on what takes place when. And I approach this with all humility. But I do think that in these two verses, we see four events that are indisputable. Four events that form a framework for us understanding what will come next. The first is the return of Christ. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Jesus, at the end of time, will come down from heaven, and he, will, and he is making his way back to earth. Of all the eschatological truths, this is the most basic and agreed upon. No Christian would deny this. Jesus is coming back. And this has been believed from the very moment that he arose, that he ascended into heaven. 
even those that were watching him go into heaven when he was here the first time, an angel of the Lord appears to them and says, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And so the truth is that Jesus is coming back. Upon his return, it says that it will be accompanied with a loud command, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet call of God. In other words, it will not be missed. There is no way around it. You cannot miss this. It's not describing three separate uh, sounds. Maybe it's all in one. I don't know. That's kind of up to speculation. But the point is, you're going to see it. You're going to hear it. You're going to know it's coming. If you're asleep, you'll get woken up. If there's a scientist tucked away in a laboratory and hasn't seen the sunlight for a week and a half, somehow he'll be startled out of that and he'll come out and he'll see the Lord descending on the clouds. And it'll be universal. Everyone will see it all at once and it won't be on a TV screen. Sometimes I think people have thought, everyone will see it because now we have the invention of TV. Everyone will see it with their own two eyes. How's that possible? I do not know. But we in Southern California will see it just as those in Africa or Asia. The Lord is coming back and it will be accompanied in such a way with such magnificent glory that nobody will miss it. And we will all see the Lord coming. The word that is used for the Lord's coming here is parousia. That's the Greek word. And I want to read a definition of parousia because, and I know I'm getting a little bit technical here, but to me this is just so fantastic. Now, keep in mind I'm reading from a Greek dictionary. This is not the most elegant, poetic language, but it's going to paint a picture that we're going to be thrilled over. Here's what my uh, Greek dictionary says. On the one hand, the word served as a call expression for the coming of a hidden divinity who makes his presence felt by the revelation of his power. In other words, one of the ways that this word parousia is used is it's used to recognize, the, it was used to, to draw attention to someone who was God and displayed himself in power, or at least they thought that person was God. That's one way it's used. The second way it's used, it's used two different ways. On the other hand, parousia became the official term for a visit of a person of high rank, especially kings and emperors visiting a, prov a province. These two technical expressions can approach each other closely in meeting, meaning can shade off into one another or even coincide. And that's exactly what we have happening in the return of Jesus. He comes as God and King. He returns to this earth and no one will uh, be in any doubt. When they see him come on the clouds, everyone will recognize that he is God and he is king and he's coming to take his throne over all of creation. And so no one misses it. No one says, oh shoot, missed it. Uh, all will recognize his coming will be unmistakable and indisputable. That's the first event. The second event is still in verse 16, and it is the resurrection of the dead. Verse 16 says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. When he comes back, the dead in Christ will rise. Now sometimes I think we think of coming back from the dead as like, 
We've seen too many TV shows or movies where zombies crawl out of the grave. No, this is live, healthy bodies coming back to, to life. When we come back to life, we will have real bodies, physical bodies with blood coursing through our veins. And, it will be, uh, and, and these bodies will be perfect in every way. To help us understand the resurrection body, let's think about the body that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. Jesus had a physical body, right? He told Thomas, who doubted, come and see the scars in my hands and feel the nail-pierced side. And Thomas went and he felt and he saw and he said, Jesus, I believe. A couple things. First of all, he had a physical body and a body that could be recognized. No one said, is that you, Jesus? No, people that knew him recognized him. And the same thing for us. We will have physical bodies and people will recognize us and say, is that you, Sarah, or is that you, Daniel? No, that we'll know for sure. That uh, we will have physical bodies. Jesus ate uh, fish and it just, just fall through him like it was a spirit. He was able to digest it. How many of you are looking forward to eating, okay, eating your favorite food? I, here, I'll just make it personal. I am looking forward to eating a banana split every night and not getting fat. Okay? Hang on, the day is coming. This is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. How many of you would love to run a marathon? Let's make it better. How many of you would love to run a thousand miles and never get tired? Hang on, the day is coming. It's going to be great. We're going to get resurrection bodies. We're going to, we'll still have scars. We'll still, be, uh, we'll still have uh, things that we recognize from what happened to us in this earth, but no longer will it be painful or, sh- or no longer will we be shamed of it. We will see one another in all the goodness and all the ugliness, the things that have happened to us, and somehow it will be redeemed so that it gives God glory. And it'll be a resurrection of bodies. I don't know how this all looks. Dawson once asked me, Dad, what about uh, those that are resurrected that weren't buried in a casket in a, and put in, a, in the ground? And I thought, oh, he must be thinking of those that were cremated. No, he said, he said what about those that were killed at the sea and the shark ate them and pooped them out? <laughs> I don't know, but somehow, somehow, God's going to raise them all back up again. And believe me, those that were buried a thousand years ago in a casket, the worms and bugs have gotten to them by now, but yet God will raise them back up. And when that happens, there will be excitement all over the world. There will be excitement all over uh, uh, with those that trusted in Him. Now all will be raised up. Those that did trust Him and those that didn't trust Him. John 5, 28 and 29 says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. That's that shout of the archangel. And come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All will be raised again, some to life and some to judgment. Now, those that have been raised to life will get excited and want to race Jesus and meet him in the clouds. And that's what we see here in verse 17. The third event that I want to talk about is 
we're going to call this the rapture. In verse 17 we say, We who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds. We'll be gathered up with Jesus in the clouds. Now I hesitate to use the word rapture because of all the words uh, around the end times, this may be the least understood. Part of the reason I hesitate is not only because of misunderstandings, but because the word never actually occurs in the Bible. The word rapture comes from a Latin word which means to seize. And the idea is that people are seized and snatched up. But what often comes with it is this connotation that they are raptured out of this world to escape the world, to get, to get out of here so that they don't have to deal with it anymore. And I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, it seems to me that all the pain and the suffering that may take place up to this point uh, will be experienced by believers and unbelievers alike. And actually, it is the, through the blood of the martyrs that the victory of Christ is won in Revelation. But the, but the rapture we see here is a catching up to uh, Christ to meet him in the air because we want to celebrate his coming back to this earth. So now let me get technical on us again. I already read a, a, about one Greek word, parousia. Now I'm going to read about the next Greek word, apontesis. Apontesis is the word that is used here for caught up, caught up together with the Lord. Here's what one commentator says. The truth that the redeemed will meet the Lord is expressed by another technical, technical term. When a dignitary paid an, an official visit, that's what we already talked about with the parousia, to a city in Hellenistic times, the action of the leading citizens is to go out and meet him and escort him back on the final stage of his journey, uh, on the final stage of his journey. And this was called the apontesis. And that is what we see here. Remember when Jesus goes into Jerusalem in the last week of his life? And everyone lines the streets and uh, waves their palm branches and shouts their praises, Hosanna! Pr blessed be the name of he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they shout his praises, they throw down his cloak, and he's riding in on a donkey. Revelation pictures him riding in on a white stallion. Now he comes in the fullness of all of his glory. And he comes in victory. And those that are excited to see him catch up to him in the sky to accompany him back to this earth. Now what about those that have risen from the dead that aren't ex excited to see him come? The rapture is alluded to in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 where it says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. In other words, two people will be sitting here working in the fields and, and they'll look up and they'll hear the trumpet sound and they'll see Jesus coming back. And one will get excited and he'll race to meet Jesus in the air and to celebrate him coming as God and King. And the other will shrink back in dread because he knows that he has not loved Jesus and, and he does not love him in that moment. And those that do not love Jesus await the judgment seat. And those that love him will be caught up and celebrate his coming. Now Luke's account says 
that some will be in bed asleep at the time. And I have been asked, how is it that some are working, maybe this just proves that all of this is allegorical, some are working in the fields and some are asleep. The answer to that is very, very simple. We live on a globe. And where we are awake right now, I'm not very good with my geometry. Would it be, would it be nighttime in Africa right now? In where? In Asia? They're asleep in Asia, all right? So this will happen at any time in the day. And one will be left and the other will be taken. And when we meet him in the sky, there is, event number four, a reunion. And we see this here in uh, verse 17. To meet the Lord in the air and to be with him forever. There is a reunion. There's actually three types of reunion. One is... Jesus and his people are brought together. The second reunion is people's spirit and their body is joined together. Those that have gone on before us right now, they exist in heaven. They live in heaven. They're alive and well, but they live in their spirit and their soul. Heaven right now is a spiritual realm, and those that live there live there in spirit. When Jesus comes back, their spirit and their body will be joined together. It will be a reunion, and then we will live into all that God has created us to live into. And the third uh, reunion is heaven and earth meet together. So that Jesus, when he comes, he brings heaven with him to this earth. What Revelation calls the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, let me read these verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Not that they didn't exist anymore, but that they are being renewed. They are being made even better. And, they, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. That's the throne room of God, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them and will be their God. That's the reunion. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these down, for these, are the, these words are trustworthy and true. And so this is where we are headed. And so when we get here, we experience all of the fullness of God's salvation that he started in his first coming will be brought to completion in his second coming. And then, as it says here, then we will have full fellowship with God. God will be our God and we will be his people. And what we experience here is very much like what Adam and Eve experienced here. It's the Garden of Eden, but it's way better than the Garden of Eden. It's the Garden of Eden 2.0. And so that all of that we were created to live in the image of God and the presence of Jesus and fellowship with one another, we will realize in its fullness on the new heavens and the new earth. And so these are the events of the last times, the return of Christ, 
the resurrection of the dead, the rapture where people meet him in the sky to celebrate him and accompany him to this earth, a reunion in which people's spirits are joined with their bodies and heaven is joined with earth. And this is where we will live for all eternity. And my hope is that this gets in our imaginations and it just goes wild. So that we just brainstorm of what, uh, what the glories would be like and it would transform us from the inside out. You see, that, what we are to experience in the future is actually how we were created to live. And we get little foretastes of that. We actually can foreshadow that by living in fellowship with Jesus right now. But we might be able to get little pictures of that and it would begin to warm our hearts and transform the way we live. It's going to be way better than the pictures that are typically in our minds about what heaven is like. We will not be sitting on clouds listening to harp music all day. If that's the case, I don't want to go there myself. We won't, uh, we won't be just like, and I've heard people say, we'll just be like, we'll be made into angels. No, you and I are created in the image of God. We are higher than the angels. We will live in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will work and it'll bring fulfillment, and we will live in the glory of God. In fact, this place is, says there is no need for the sun, for the glory of God will shine brightly, and we will constantly be in the presence of God, and it will be wonderful. We will see our family and our friends there, and we will recognize them, and there will be no more knee surgeries, and no more memory loss, and no more getting a little bit around the waist. It'll be wonderful. And it will be the way that we were created to live. We will live in the glory of God and in, and in uh, love with one another. And so Paul closes this section by saying, verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As we, look, as we live in this stage, looking forward to this day, may we encourage one another with these words. The last point I want to uh, make mention here is encourage one another with how we live now. So in other words, remind one another, hey, we're headed to something far greater. Persevere. Keep going. Don't grow uh, frustrated. Don't lose heart. One day Jesus is coming and he'll make it all new. And, uh, and then begin to imagine this and be transformed by it. Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher of the 17th century, had several uh, resolutions that he resolved to live by. And this was one of them. Resolved to endeavor to my utmost, to act as I think I should if I had already seen the happiness of heaven. And that's what I hope we live like. As we look forward to the heavens, to the new heaven and the new earth, and as we think about those things, to live in light of that. Everything else that will pass away, get rid of it. Fix our minds on what God has coming down the road in the future. To live in light of the happinesses of heaven and even the torments of hell, but to fix our mind on these things, to meditate on them so that we can be transformed by them. And then in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed forever when Jesus comes back. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you just for your love. I thank you that you did not leave us in our sin as we deserved, that what, the way that we were created to live was so distorted and out of whack because of the sin that has entered into this world. But God, you did not leave us there. But you sent your Son to win salvation, to win victory over sin and death. And God, we look forward to the day when you're coming back and you will bring it all to a conclusion. And so God, I pray that you would transform our weak-minded thinking and that we would just be enraptured as we think of how great you are and what you are doing. God, may we get overwhelmed by it. May we get a passion for you when we think of your greatness, that one day you will appear on the clouds and you will come as God and King. And you will come to take your throne and to rule over the world in the way that you were meant to live all along. And we look forward to that day. May we encourage one another with these words. May we grieve with hope. May we live with perseverance as we look forward to the day when you make all things right. Maranatha, Lord. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What an awesome message it is, um, the afterlife. Uh, you know, uh, the next song, it kind of hits home. Um, it's kind of fitting as well, because um, this week on Thursday is the third anniversary of my father's passing. And he was a, he loved God. He was a God-fearing man, but boy, he got on my nerves. Um, you know, you can't shoot your family, but whatever. Um, but he had... Um, he had a lot of regrets and a lot of um, just a lot of things that bogged him down, um, that made him feel worthless. And um, this song, um, in his passing, it, it gave me a lot of encouragement. It gave me a lot of peace. Um, the chorus it says, "There's going to be no weeping, no hurt or pain, no suffering, no darkness, and no sickness or lame." And that brings me a lot of encouragement that you know the the shackles of sin, um, the chains of regret are no more, and that he is at peace. And that is awesome and i found a lot of peace in that so i hope that you guys can find peace if you guys are in that state as well so please rise with me and let's praise his name
receive the benediction. May you go in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, living in anticipation for that day when he will come back again. May you go in knowledge and truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen.